Lord, we thank you because we believe that that the praise that Vic is offering and the grace that he's exalting is such a sweet sound in your ear. Lord, we pray that we'll all sing that tune loudly, clearly, the tune of your grace. Pray that you'd fill our hearts as we listen to your word this morning with grace. Lord, I pray that as I read your word and preach it, that you'd bless me with a deep balance between reflecting the seriousness of the words therein and the call to discipleship and the grace of the one who calls us. Lord, you are also the one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give rest for your weary souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And so, Lord, we pray that we'll hear the gentle and the humble ones speaking to us, even as you call us to faithfulness, to focus as your disciples. So, Lord, speak clearly to us now as we open your word. In your name we pray. Amen. anyone got a page number? Luke 9, 57-62. Say that again. 16, Thanks, Ron. 1613 in the Blue Bibles. Jesus has been speaking and teaching about discipleship a fair amount through the last few passages that have been read and preached, as he's um, turning his attention or his face toward Jerusalem and preparing for his own rejection, his own death, he's also preparing his disciples to follow in his footsteps. And so before I read these words from Luke 9:57, I'm going to read some words from earlier in Luke 9 and just remind us very briefly what Jesus' definition of a Christian is. Jesus doesn't say a Christian is somebody who says, I believe in Jesus. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. So a Christian is a self-denying, cross-carrying follower of Jesus. And Jesus then expands on that with these words from Luke 9, where it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. 
but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The word of God. Three, three weeks and a day ago, on Saturday, in the afternoon, Travis and Amanda, where are you? Travis and Amanda got married. And, um, yeah. It was wonderful. It was a little cold, but it was wonderful, wasn't it? Pastor Gina performed their marriage. And as she began to preach the sermon, she shared with all of us present that when Travis and Amanda had come in for pre-marriage preparation. She had said to them, are you sure you want to get married? And then she shared with us that she didn't share that with them just one time. But every time they came in, she said to them, are you absolutely sure you want to get married? Well, we could listen to that and we could think now, That's kind of discouraging. Isn't it obvious that they want to get married? I mean, they look like they're in love and and they're coming to you and they're asking you to marry them and they're doing the things that you're asking. I mean, why would you discourage them? Why would you ask them if they're sure? But actually, Pastor Gina wasn't discouraging them from getting married at all by asking the question. She was speaking from... 30 years experience of being married with a deep, deep awareness of what it takes to have a successful marriage. She was speaking with an awareness that getting married and staying married and having a good marriage doesn't depend on the youthful enthusiasm, no matter how old we are, 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60, there's always a youthful enthusiasm when two people first come together, and that having a successful marriage doesn't ride, doesn't happen, just based on that enthusiasm. She's speaking from experience of 30 years of seeing a landscape of broken, hurt, devastated promises and marriages all around her. And knowing that in order to have a successful marriage, there needs to be an awareness of what's involved in marriage. Of what it takes to keep the vows that one is making. This man, and Luke is very intentional about just saying a man, a person, because Luke wants all of us to look in the mirror and to hear ourselves in this text. This man says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Who knows why he says it. Maybe he was one of the ones that Jesus healed or drove something out of. Maybe he experienced in Jesus' presence that love and that grace that Vic was talking about this morning. Maybe it was one of his family members. Maybe he knows the Word and he can recognize that this is the Messiah. We don't know. But something in Jesus is drawing him. And so he said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. 
I'll become like you. Remember that? Follow the rabbi. What does that mean? I'll become exactly like you. I'll do what you do. I'll say what you say. Where you go, I'll go. And the most interesting thing is that Jesus doesn't praise him. He doesn't say, oh, you man of great faith, like he said to the, the, the Canaanite woman. He doesn't thank him. He doesn't welcome him immediately. And yet he's not discouraging him. What does he say to him? He says, he says foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has got no place to lay his head. In other words, sir, do you really know what you're saying? Do you really know who it is that you're going to follow? Do you know that when I go places, I'm not always welcome? And when I'm not welcome there, they don't give me a place to stay or to sleep. And so it doesn't matter that I'm God Because as I come to you in the flesh, I experience rejection. I experience unwelcome. I experience hardship. I experience persecution and pushback. I experience people speaking angrily toward me. I experience accusation and being told that that I'm speaking by the devil. Sir, do you know who it is that you're saying this to? Do you know what it means? Are you aware? Are you aware? And we might say, well, if you experience all of those things, then why do you keep coming? And why do you keep going? And why do you experience all those things? For love's sake. For love's sake. For love's sake. I go into the darkest corners of the human family. I go into the places where nobody wants to go. I go to the places where there is no light. I go to the places where there's no hope, where there's only despair. I go for love's sake. But do you know what it takes to go? Do you know what it means that you're saying you'll come with me? And so Jesus wants him to be aware Are you aware? And Jesus says to us this morning, are you aware of what it means to say, you'll follow Me? John 3.16 tells us, for God the Father so loved the world that He gave His only Son and sent Him, not just into the world, but into the deepest, darkest places, so that we might have life. And the life comes because of the obedience of the Son. Because of the willingness of the Son to go into those places. The Son is in heaven. His Spirit is in our hearts. How now will those dark places receive light? How now will those hopeless lives receive hope? How now does that happen? It happens when one woman or one man or one family or one child says, I'll go. I'll go. With you, Jesus. And so the first question that we get asked this morning is, are we aware of what it means to say, Lord, I'll go where you go? And does Jesus have our permission? Even though He's sovereign, He needs our yes, our permission. 
to take us with Him, to send us to those places. So are we aware? He's a gracious Lord, but He's also a Lord who goes to difficult places. And are we aware of what it takes to go with Him? A second man comes up to Him on the road and Jesus says to him, you follow Me. And that man says, I will follow you, but first let Me go and bury My Father. And the debate is over whether that man means, well, my dad's just died and I need to go arrange a funeral right now for his death. Or on the other hand, whether that, that man means something like, let me, let me go back to my father's home and wait until he dies and then bury him. And at that point, I'll come and follow you. And the, the, the um, likelihood is that it's more the second, that this is more a matter of filial piety, like I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to upset the family traditions. I don't want to do something that's going to make my dad, who doesn't believe in you, upset. I don't want to... And so, I will follow you. I recognize in you this authority, this love. But there's something that's holding me back from doing that right now. And Jesus says to him, You let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And when he says dead, bury the own dead, he means let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Let those who have not yet come to new life, who don't yet recognize me, haven't embraced me, welcomed and accepted me, you let them bury the physically dead. You be about proclaiming the spiritual kingdom of God and the new life that I'm bringing. You join me. You recognize me. You work with me. You partner with me. You go proclaim the kingdom of God. I'd like to go back to that image of marriage for a moment and just wonder what it would be like if a a husband said to his wife, you know, I know that we're trying to make this decision together, but um, I really need to go and I need to talk to my parents and I need to make sure it's okay with them. Or a wife said to her husband, you know, I really got to check with my girlfriends. Um, I, know we, I, know, I know that we're, 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 we're deciding on this together, but I just need to make sure that my girlfriends are okay with this. I mean, it'd be absurd, wouldn't it? Mostly. Sometimes it happens. It's dysfunctional. But it's obvious that when, when we come into a marriage relationship, that when we form this, this new bond, that the Lord says the two become one, we leave and cleave. We talk about that. This new, that that's the place where those decisions get made. Because what happens when you get married is that your priorities change. Right? There's a shifting. There's a rattling or a shaking. And things get lined up differently. I shift from being a part of one family unit primarily to another one that's formed. What God is saying to this young man is, young man, if you've come into the kingdom, your priorities change. There's a rattling and a shaking and you don't answer first to mom and dad. You don't answer first to your kids. You don't answer first to your friends. You don't answer first to anybody else. You answer to the king. You've come into the kingdom of God. You're in. There's a new line of relationships and your whole life gets decided in relationship with the King. And so the question that we get to ask ourselves, that this young man gets asked is, 
who is primarily driving the decisions in our life? Who is, who is in the driver's seat? Who shapes and forms how we decide what we're going to do, where we're going to go, how we're going to give, how we're going to spend our, our free time? Who shapes and decides? Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're my disciple, you need to be focused on first things first. No matter what profession you're in, student, career, retired, the kingdom of God needs to be first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Look for it. Chase it. Proclaim it. Tell about it. Embody it. Live it. Seek it. Find your place in it. First. Before everything else. Before major decisions are made. Before career paths are chosen or changed. As you're planning for retirement. First, the king and his kingdom. Eternal vision. So he calls for an awareness of what it takes to follow him. And then he calls for a focus on him and his kingdom. And then a third man says to him, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says to him, anyone who puts their hand to the plow is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. And at first glance it seems, or it sounded to me like it was kind of harsh. Well, I just want to say goodbye, you know. I'm saying yes, and I'm not fit. So what's inside of this statement? This, this old idea of, Lord, let me go back. It has within it this, this maybe the picture of Lot's wife from the Old Testament. Remember that? The Lord called Lot and his kids out of Sodom and Gomorrah because it was so corrupt. And he said, when you leave, don't look back. And as they were fleeing the city that God was raining destruction on, she turned to look and was turned into a pillar of salt because God judged her? Well, it it, it wasn't that she was just looking back because she was curious about what happened. That, that, oh, there's fire raining down in the city and I want to see it. Inherent, Inherent in her looking back is longing. Is, I'm not sure I totally want to leave A part of my heart is still with that place. That would be like if Brennan and his girlfriend, let's just pretend that they are going to get married, okay, for a second. They're not engaged that I know of, but we'll just pretend that. Let's pretend that that Brennan said to Rachel, you know, would you marry me? And Rachel says, Brandon, I will marry you. But, but before we get married, let me go and um, just say goodbye to my uh, ex-boyfriend. <laughs> well, now, you, now we can understand not fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
right? Brennan would, his heart would be crushed. He'd say, well, you don't, you're not, we're not really fit to be married. You don't really fully want to be with me. There's a part of your heart that's still with him. And so what Jesus is talking about here is our hearts, and are they fully with him, for him, for his kingdom? Or is some part of our heart still for any part of this world, of our old life in this world? When I think about him addressing our hearts this way, I I think about a, a business and uh, being an employer and hiring an employee. Think about my father-in-law. He used to work at Apple, and I think, what if he hired somebody who came from Google, and that person from Google came in, and like they had a ton of skill, but they couldn't stop talking about the way that things were at Google. Or, um, you know, well, we used to do this really great thing, and they were constantly distracted by Google. Well, they're not going to make a good employee. They're not going to make somebody who can really represent the things of Apple to the world. They, they cannot fully sell if they aren't ravished with or deeply in love with or consumed with fully if their heart isn't fully given over to Apple. I've been in sales before and you can sell well when you love what you're selling. If you don't love it, it's hard to sell it. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, is your heart with me and my kingdom? That's why he calls the church in Revelation back to their first love. Do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because to serve me and my kingdom, he says, it takes commitment born out of love. I need to have all of your heart. All of it. You're fit for service in my kingdom when you're consumed with the king, when you love the king and his kingdom. And so Jesus calls us this morning just to evaluate our hearts and to say how committed are our hearts to Jesus and Jesus' kingdom coming here on earth, even as it is in heaven. And one way to simply evaluate that would just be to say, if they made a TV documentary of my life, when I was in seminary, let me just pause that for a quick sec. When I was in seminary, I had this class, church administration. And the professor wanted to help us evaluate where our time was going. And so for an entire semester, he made us log every five minutes of time that we spent. We had to have a Word document that said everything we did every five minutes. Well, that was really revealing for us. That really revealed to us where our hearts lay, where our priorities were. So back to that documentary. Let's say they made a documentary of our life. What would that documentary reveal about our relationship to Jesus Christ and his kingdom? Back to where we began when I prayed. The Lord is gracious. He's merciful, he's gentle, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love. And it's that Lord who doesn't lay a heavy burden on us this morning, but gives a deep, deep invitation to us and says, 
Are you aware? Be aware of what it takes to follow me, lest you become disillusioned when it's difficult. Are you focused on me and my kingdom, first, foremost, over, in, and through all? And are you committed? Commit to me. Be consumed with me. Let's pray. Jesus, we remember that word that Paul spoke to the church in Philippi when he said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Lord, we don't strive because we know that the work of your Spirit in our lives is your work. You initiate it. You carry it on. You bring it toward completion. And yet, you call us, Lord, to participate. You call us to say yes. You call us to lay down our lives, to give up things, to be self-denying, that your kingdom could come, that your will could be done, that people could come into it who aren't. We recognize that before you this morning, Jesus. We say yes to you afresh. We call on you and ask you where we have been unfocused, focused on other things, where we have let people take priority in our lives, where we have put a hand to work and then looked back or veered one way or the other. Lord, we're sorry. And we thank you that you're a God of grace and a God who restores and who calls back into fruitfulness. And so, Lord, take every one of us this morning deeper into the fruitfulness of following you and let your kingdom come and let your will be done through us for your glory.